A little over a year ago, about 14 months or so, my wife and I were sitting and we were chatting and she said, you know what, we should bring Team World Vision, we had done it at the church we were at before, we should bring Team World Vision to Mankato. And she had run with them before, absolutely amazing, raised money for good cause, and I'm like, that's a great idea, absolutely phenomenal. So we gathered a little lunch together, about six or eight uh, people from Crossview brought this guy sitting over here, he's going to be preaching this morning, Bradley Hoffbauer down, had a lunch. He showed a video, just sort of like toward our hearts. And then at the end of it, he, he threw out this line. He said, if you want to do Team World Vision as a church, the only way it works is if the senior pastor runs. As you all know, I am not a runner, nor had I run before, nor did I desire to run 13 miles, 3 miles, 0.3 miles. And, uh, but he had me. I signed in blood in that moment of weakness. And uh, last year, if you're new to Crossview, this amazing church over almost 100 people ran, almost $100,000. Uh, people involved in all different ways, not just running. And uh, God did something fabulous in our community last year. And uh, I'm excited to see what God is going to do this year. It's going to be different. It's going to be fun. It's going to be us telling our community, our city, what God is up to. This morning in Mankato, last year it was just Crossview. This morning in Mankato, there's a number of other churches making the same announcement. So we're going to be doing it as a city, as churches who name Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're going to tell our city a story about a God who loves people, period. So Bradley is going to be preaching this morning. He can sort of uh, introduce himself with all his energy and amazingness. And uh, I heard the message for service. It is fabulous. So Ooh, does that get you fired up? Come on. That's got to get you fired up. Yes. People are like, he's back again? Hang on a second. I thought this was one time thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had the opportunity, the awesome opportunity to come here last year. I got to tell you guys, and I didn't mention this first service, I really should have. Uh, I, I went back and told the story to our staff and to the rest and a, a bunch of other staff at World Vision, the story of Crossview in Mankato. And people within World Vision, staff people within World Vision, have been energized by this story for about the last year. That's not an exaggeration. When people, I'm on conference calls or in meetings or something with, with people in World Vision, they talk about that Mankato church. Well, didn't you guys hear about that Mankato church that did that thing? Wasn't it like, you know, a moderate-sized church? You had 100 people come and run, and they almost raised $100,000. Why don't we do that everywhere? We're like, yeah, we, we want to. We, yes, we want to do that everywhere, right? So I just want to thank you for... Uh, for participating last year, for inviting me, and for inviting me again. Um, today I want to I talk to you guys a little bit about calling. Uh, about two years ago, I, um, I started doubting the sustainability of Team World Vision as a ministry. How, how many times am I really going to be able to go to church, from church to church to church, city to city to city, and ask people to do something so ridiculous like run 13 or 26 miles. How, how am I going to do that year after year after year? Can't be sustainable, right? But year after year after year, my six years of doing this, people came up to me after their event or the day I recruited for the event and would tell me things like, I've never felt so called to anything in my whole life. Really? Really? 
can that really just be running? It can't be, right? I was like, running is like almost nowhere in the Bible. Yeah, Paul like uses a couple examples, but like that's like examples. He's not like, he's not telling people go run a marathon. He's like, train like a runner. Like that's not very clear. So I I started to try to dig into what is it about Team World Vision that makes it so awesome for people? I just don't know. I really don't know, and I want to know. And this brought me back to people coming and telling me that they felt called to do this, right? Now, I got to admit, I don't like the word called. I don't like it. When people come and tell me, I've been called to quit my job. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. I was called to go watch a movie. No, you weren't. Right? Or, or, or just however exaggerated they want to use that term. It just, I don't know. Just, I don't like it. I don't feel good when people say it. But if I'm honest, I think that maybe I have felt called a few times in my life. And most of the time, I just didn't know how to respond when I felt called. And I think that maybe that is why I feel annoyed when people tell me they're called and that they are responding is because when I feel called, I feel weird and then I don't know what to do and they're telling me they do know what to do and that makes me uncomfortable, right? I think primarily I don't like the idea because it means that I have a responsibility to respond, right? If you're called, you have a responsibility to respond, If it's just like random thoughts in your head, then no responsibility, right? So I just want to give you a couple examples. You ever been in the middle? I want you to think of your day yesterday. What were you doing yesterday? Working on the yard, probably. Think of your day, or it's not. Now you're going to feel called to go work on your yard. Have you ever been in the middle of doing something easy and comfortable when suddenly you think of something you really should be doing? And so here's an example. No one's felt like that? Maybe somebody one time felt like that. Felt like you should go do something that you're not doing right now. Here's an example. I love, love watching movies. Probably a whole separate sermon on why I love watching movies and how I have a problem. So anyway, often enough something like this will happen. I sit down to watch a movie that I've been waiting and waiting to see. You've got one in your head right now if you're a movie goer like myself. I know you do. Because you got kids now, you can't go to the movies all the time, so you got to watch them on Netflix. It takes like seven years for them to get there. And then finally they get there, and you're like, oh, i got to find time. So I get in the basement. I got my popcorn. The lights are off. i got the movies about to start. I push play. The world comes up, boom, like spinning or whatever. I'm like, yes. Then I remember my wife asked me to clean the kitchen before she gets home from book club tonight. Crap. Ah, now what do I do? Do I pause it? Yeah, probably have to. But she doesn't know that I remembered that she asked, so maybe I can just tell her I forgot still. Okay, all right, that's one example, but I want to take this step further. Let's say she never asked me to clean the kitchen. But she left for book club, and the kitchen's a disaster, and I know because I just made popcorn. I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't believe I'm putting my popcorn in this microwave. 
Glad I'm going in the basement. But then I'm like, oh, man, I should really go do something about that. Does that ever happen to anybody? Okay, <laughs> a couple of people. So here's my question. Even though she didn't ask me to do it, do I still have a responsibility to respond? Uh, I don't like that. Or is it just a fleeting thought? Is there really, I'm going to just make this really deep, really fast. Is there really a God of the universe who is so personal that his spirit will communicate with his people about ridiculously mundane things, compelling them to action that shows people around them that they love them? Or is it just a totally random thought in a totally random world? People are like, ah, I'm tempted to become an atheist right now, just so I can answer the second way, right? Because if it is a totally random thought in a totally random world, then I can just keep on going watching my movie. It doesn't matter. I don't need to stop and go watch this just because I wasn't designed to listen to some God who made me, right? Okay, I'm going to put a little more consequence to this, or seemingly put more consequence to it than, than dishes. Ten years ago, and some of you have heard a little bit of this story. I shared a little bit of it last year. Uh, ten years ago, my friend Michael asks me to run a half marathon. I say, no way, man. Done it, only because my little brother was doing it. Worst experience of my life, never do it again. Please stop talking to me. Michael, Click. But then he tells me that he wants me to do it in order to raise money for pregnant women in Zambia who don't have proper nutrition. And that many babies in this community were dying before birth, during birth, or shortly after birth. And as it turns out, some incredibly cheap nutrition packets could change all of that for these women and children. That provision of these simple little packets would ensure that the majority of the babies who are born in this community would be born healthy. Ugh, why are you telling me this, man? You are bothering me right now. Plus, my wife told me I was out of shape. You heard that last year. So even though I absolutely hated running, and I had already done it and had a terrible experience, I had one of those feelings like I'm supposed to go do this thing. So I begrudgingly started training with my wife very slowly. Lo and behold, four months later, my wife and I both crossed the finish line at this 13.1 mile race. And rather than feeling terrible, I felt overwhelming joy. It was weird. It's like, that's weird. I just did something that should make me feel terrible. Like physically terrible. My very next feeling, and I told a little bit of this last year, I think, too, was to attempt a, a triathlon. For those of you who don't know, like I didn't know at the time, a tri I didn't know what a triathlon was. First alarm bell should have gone off. 
Triathlon consists of three sports, triathlon, that's, why, that's where they get that name, in case you didn't know, three sports, swimming, biking, running, in that order. And the specific race that I had a feeling about started with a 1.2 mile swim, 1.2 miles. Uh, if you're not a swimmer, that's really far in the water. <laughs> if you are a swimmer, don't talk to me about how far you think that is, because I think you probably think it's not as far as I think it is. A couple of problems. Not only had I never learned to swim, but I was also, you know, afraid to death of the water. A couple of problems. Just a disaster. Six months later, I finished that race. Starts with a 1.2-mile swim. I made it. I'm alive right now. Yeah, you can cheer for that. Yes. I was basically dead last, but I did finish. Literally, me and two grandmothers. That's my photo finish. I'm not joking. <laughs> me and two grandmothers cruising across the finish line together. They're cheering me on. You can do it. Thanks. <laughs> 27 years old. Good job. Puts me in my place. But this trend of personal transformation through endurance races continued until 2009 when my friend Michael calls me again and he asks me to quit my job. What is with this guy? Just leave me alone, man. Change my phone number. So for the next four weeks, oh, I tell him no. I'm like, no. He's like, well, I'm going to give you four weeks to think about it. Okay. I don't need any time to think about it. No. Well, I'm going to give you four weeks. So over the next four weeks, I'm waking up in the middle of the night multiple times, feeling like I'm supposed to do this. Ugh, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. Right? It's more than inconvenient. It messes up everything that's going on. So see, my experience, and your, your experience probably too, you can identify some things like this in your life, you really do feel called to things sometimes. And sometimes in a way that seems like it will change the entire direction of your life, and other times in, play, in ways that seem completely inconsequential or incidental. If I'm honest, and if I think you're honest with yourself, you might admit that you actually rarely respond even to these little nudges, taps on the shoulder, whispers, fleeting thoughts. So before we go any further, I just want to clarify two things, two little side notes here. Number one, there's a temptation to call the first thing that I talked about doing the dishes and the second thing different things. There's a temptation to call one of them a big calling and one of them a small calling. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Please do not try to... Uh, to determine what the long-term effects of your response to what you believe might be a sized calling might be for your life. You doing the dishes for your spouse might change your life in bigger ways than quitting your job and doing something different. Right? Not saying it will, just saying it might. 
hint, hint, go do the dishes today, okay? Um, if you're feeling called to do it. If you're not, don't do it. I'll let you decide. Second note, I just want to clarify. So don't, please don't say one is big or one is better and one is small and therefore not as good or whatever. The second thing I want to make you clear, you, you might have like anywhere from one to a hundred little nudges or taps or something that you, that you feel during your week. I, I do not want you to come away from today thinking that your response to those things that you're hearing or feeling determines God's love for you. Okay? That's not true. That's just not true. God loves you, period. God made you, period. He is so personal that he cares about all the mundane things that you do. Right? And he's so personal that he cares about the long-term direction of your life. You, personally, and you, communally, your family, your whole city, this country, this world, other countries. Yeah, other countries, too. So don't, don't tend to assert that your response or non-response changes God's relationship with you, right? He loves you, period. He's asking you to participate with him in the redemption of the world, and it might start with doing the dishes. Okay? But if you choose or don't even listen, if you choose not to or, or don't even listen, that's not going to change his love for you and his invitations. He's going to keep asking over and over and over and over and over. Okay, so those are my two side notes. So what if we really are all called to do something, and what if we actually did respond? Here's the thing. What if this week, everybody in this room listened to and actually responded on one of those little whispers, you should do this, right? You should do this. What would be different? Um, and I do want to give a little bit of clarity around like how to discern when it's something that you actually maybe should go do, right? I do want to give a little bit of clarity, but I'm going to save that for a little bit later. Um, so is everyone really called to this? Where am I getting my information that says that this is potentially true? So when I started this journey a couple of years ago and I was like, man, can this really be blah, blah, people... I don't understand it. Everybody's telling me they're called, though, so i got to figure this out. Genesis 1.26. Yeah, I put it right in the very beginning. I was like, man, you could have put it somewhere in the middle just to make me feel better about having read the Bible a billion times and then find it. Oh, it's right here at the beginning. That was easy to find. Genesis 1.26-27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You're like, I don't get it. Didn't get it. I don't see anywhere where it says what all people are called to do. Well, as I, as I looked into this phrase, I was like, man, 
the image of God. We're designed to bear the image of God. What does that look like? And I start looking at the, like the history of Israel, right? All of the Old Testament. God seems to be trying to tell his people throughout the Old Testament, behave in this way, right? First, he's like, cultivate the land. There's no rules. There's like one rule. There's like one thing I want you to do. But mostly, just cultivate the land and like make it awesome, right? And we like mess that up. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you more rules. All right, that didn't work. More rules. I got 10 rules. This is it. They're really general. 10 rules. Boom, 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 boom. Gives them to them. Can't get it. Like give, gives them the rules. Next day, make a calf out of gold. No, that's not what, that was not one of the rules. Are you even listening, right? He's like very frustrated. He's like, ah, I'm going to like give you a whole space or area to try this in. I'm going to give you like a whole race of people to try and do this right. Bear my image. Do it like this. Don't get it right. Man, I'm just going to let people destroy you. You guys are irritating me. No, I'm not. Kind of, I am. Right? He's like back and forth, back and forth. God's getting angry, and then he's like, redeeming them. He's giving them another chance, and he's getting angry again. Get it right. Bear my image. When it seems like end of the Old Testament, God has almost completely left his people. I don't know if you know, but at the end of the Old Testament, there's about 500 years that goes where God basically says nothing to the people of Israel, right? From Israel's perspective, that's bad. Israel's like kind of making stuff up there at the end even. They're like, eh, yeah, maybe he's saying this to us, maybe, right? And then it's just like dead silence, nothing from God for 500 years. Seems like he has completely given up. And this is when the incarnation happens. Let me define this for you. This is when God literally comes to be with his people. Why? To fully reveal his image. Remember back in Genesis when I told you to bear my image and you couldn't get it right, you couldn't get it right, you couldn't get it right, you couldn't get it right? Let me just show you. Let me just come down there and show you what I'm talking about. After Christ's death and resurrection, Paul sees this. And he writes this in Colossians, one of the first books of the Bible to ever be, to, of the New Testament to ever be written, okay? Colossians, one of the earliest books of the New Testament to be written. He says this, he, Jesus, is the image of God. He's just quoting Genesis. Jesus is the image of God. He's the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation. This is just Genesis Paul's talking about. Okay, so if, if you can agree, which we probably can't in the whole room, but if, but if we can, let's say that we can agree that Jesus is the truest image of God. That's what I'm saying. I believe that Jesus is the truest image of God. And if we are all called, designed even, like the fabric of our being, to bear that image, 
then it makes sense that Paul concludes this, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. We have borne the image of man made of the earth. We shall also bear the image of the man from heaven. I'm not making this stuff up. It was like right there in the Bible. They, I just found it. I was like, oh, wow, this all like relates. So what do we actually do then? Okay, Jesus is the image of God, okay? And I'm the same image as him, okay? So what am I supposed to do? John 15, 12 to 13. This is my command. Love one another in the same way that I loved you. No one has a greater love than this to lay down your life for your friends. But, in Matthew 5, he alludes to something more when he actually extends this command beyond your friends. And he says this, You heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for people who persecute you. That way you'll be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies. That means die for your enemies. Paul sees this overtly states it in his letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. This is how God demonstrates his own love for us. The Messiah died for us while we were still sinners, his enemies. Is Jesus really saying that we should really go die for all of our enemies? Yes. I'm sorry. Right? Here's the problem. We can't. We like won't. Right? This is a beautiful thing about the gospel. Jesus knew we couldn't do it. So he came and did it for us. Now just because he did it for you and knows that you can't doesn't mean you don't have any responsibility to behave in that way. He's transforming you right now to behave more like that. Right? He's changing you as I'm talking to you, as you're acting, as you're thinking, as you're reading, as you're moving. He's changing you to behave more like that. Right? Not just think a certain way, but think a certain way and act a certain way and let that seep into every part of your life. He's calling us all to this. And if you're going to write one thing down today, I want you to write this down. He's calling us all to this. To behave sacrificially in order to bring life to others. This is what Jesus' action can be, can be summed up as. Jesus did this. He behaved fully, sacrificially, in order to fully bring life to the whole world. That was his action. And that's what we're called into, invited into with him to help redeem this place, make it what it was meant to be. What if every person was behaving like this? Wouldn't it be a better place? What if every person would lay down everything that they had for their enemies? There wouldn't be any more enemies. That's what Christ is calling the world to. That's what, that's what God is calling all of his creation and people to. We were made in his image, with his character, designed 
to feel fulfilled even when we bring life to others through sacrificial behavior. So I start hearing all these people tell me that Team World Vision is making them feel more full than they've ever felt before. It's because they're doing something that's hard, that's really hard that they don't even want to do. But you know, when they do it, they're actually bringing life to people. And and we're making it really obvious for them. You're bringing clean water to kids in Africa by doing this hard thing. And people are like, wow, that feels amazing. Why does that feel so amazing? I want to tell you, it's because God made you that way. He made you to feel amazing when you do that. Isn't this true? When I got a fleeting thought about the kitchen, right? If I choose to be obedient to my true calling and design, I'll not only bring a sense of joy or peace or happiness maybe, even fleeting happiness to my wife, but I'll also feel a sense of joy in my bones. Now, there's, there's two ways that I could have response, and this is a critical note. If right when I feel that thought pop into my head, and then I drag myself begrudgingly and angry up to the kitchen, now, now I have to clean the kitchen because I'm obligated to out of guilt. <laughs> you see the difference? The thing is, when you behave out of obligation and guilt, you know what it is? You actually expect a response from the person who you're serving. Not only do you expect it, but you resent them when you don't get it. Right? So if that thought comes into my mind while I'm about to watch my movie, it's going to be so awesome. And I think to myself, oh, I guess I better go up and clean the kitchen. The whole time I'm cleaning the kitchen, I'm thinking, my wife better say how awesome of a husband I am for cleaning the kitchen while she's at book club. Man, I give her all this time, put the kids down by myself. Man, I'm such a good dude. She better give me accolades when she gets home about how good of a person I am. Right? That's not not right. That's just me looking for glory for myself. But if when I'm at that moment, about to push pause on the TV, if I, if I can do that and think to myself, you know, this is actually the way I was made and designed. It's not my wife who's called me to do this. It's God who made me to serve other people and feel more fulfilled by doing it. If I recognize the truth that lies there, now I go up, do the dishes, Go back down, start my movie. Don't even mention it to my wife. Not looking for a response. I don't care. I already got my response. Because God promised me some things about this. I want to share those promises with you. It changes our response. I want to start here, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Not in view of your obligation or your guilt, in view of God's mercy. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Like worshiping God by doing dishes. Boom. It's amazing, right? But here's the promise I love the most. Oh, man, I've been hanging on to this. I've been hanging on to this for six months. 
Isaiah 58, 6-11. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? I want you to read fasting there as sacrificial behavior, right? Fasting means to give something up, to sacrifice. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the, ja- the, the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from him. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer you. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of of the finger and speaking wickedness, If you instead pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Oh, I want my bones to be strong. That's what I want. I am designed and called to bear God's image by behaving sacrificially in order to actually bring life to other people. That's how I'm made. That's how you're made. Recognizing your king and creator is, an ob, is, is a necessary portion of that. Recognizing that you were made with that purpose. In this passage, God essentially says, bear my image and I will satisfy your desire in scorched places and I will make your bones strong. I don't know about you, but I want to be satisfied in scorched places. I want others to be satisfied in scorched places, right? I want to be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. It's what I want my son to see when he looks at me. If I'm honest, I want to experience full life, full life to the fullest extent. This is what Christ promised in John 10.10. He said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. So how will you proceed? With that in mind, I would say every person here, each and every day, you are called, designed, to bear God's image. You are called to behave sacrificially in order to bring life to those around you. And if you do not respond to those callings, God will continue to call you. That's the, that's the outcome. Until you do. He will continue to call you. 
And it's very likely, at least initially, that you won't want to. And it will require sacrifice. It's going to require that you sacrifice your time, your comfort, your energy, your money, all of those things, one of those things, many of those things. In some cases, it may feel like you're giving up so much that you're actually giving up your entire life. Be comforted. Jesus actually said that would happen. Whoever loses their life for my sake, for my sake, for my image, will find it. So today... Just like last year, we're going to practice. You're going to practice responding. Had this moment never happened, you would have gone on doing what you were doing, not missing a thing, but since it did happen, you had to respond. So here it is. Earlier, I told you about how 10 years ago, my friend Michael asked me to sacrifice in order to help a mother whose child might not make it. Today... I'm asking you, even if you've done it before, especially if you've done it before, to sacrifice those same things in order to bring a child clean water. Guys, three years ago, Tammy, she's a mother of three. All her kids are under the age of five. Yeesh. Tammy weighed 310 pounds, and she felt in the silence of her own home that God was calling her to live differently. It eventually led to her becoming connected with Team World Vision, and last year Tammy heard another calling. This time her calling, she felt, was to sign up for the Twin Cities Marathon. That's 26.2 miles. She would have to sign up for, train, and complete that race in order to bring life to children. That would mean training for more than six months in order, on race day, to jog and walk 26.2 miles. She trained and trained and trained. She and her family willingly gave up all these things that I've mentioned. They gave up time. They gave up comfort. They sacrificed energy and money. I had the privilege of getting to walk and jog miles 25 and 26 with Tammy to the finish line in October. Tears of joy coming down her face as she laughed and smiled, feeling God's pleasure. Bearing his image with sacrificial behavior that brought life to kids who needed clean water. But also to her three kids, her three kids, who cheered her on from the sidelines. I will never forget them at mile 25 and 26, cheering from the sidelines and seeing God's strength pour through their mom. And her husband, James, as he cried almost as much as she did when she crossed the finish line.
You see, our father delivers on his promise of Isaiah. As Tammy and her family bore the image of God, as they poured themselves out for the hungry and satisfied the desires of the afflicted, just as Christ fully did for all of us, he made their bones strong. Tammy's now a team captain for us. She's down to 230 pounds, and she's leading a team from her church to the Twin Cities Marathon this year. And ultimately, she knows she's leading them to a more full life. Not because running is so important in people's lives, but because the gospel calls people to behave sacrificially in order to bring life to others, and that's the way to full life. Many of you might be hearing two voices. One of them, you should do this. The other one's going, no way, don't do this. You nuts, don't listen to that guy. If that's you, I want you to really listen to that quiet voice. Just saying, you should do this. You should do this. We're going to gather a team of people, not just from Crossview, but from all over Mankato, to go run the Mankato half and full marathon this year. So that we can declare to our city what truly brings full life. And it's not running a race and it's not raising money. It's sacrificial behavior that's bringing life to others. That's what does it. We want to declare that to our city and to ourselves. So today, after the service, just like last year, we're going to meet right down here for about 10 minutes after the service. If that's you, I want you to come down and join us. Right? Let, let your friend pull you, pull you with them. Okay? We're going to just give you the details about what it looks like. I don't want you responding because you're dragging yourself out of obligation and guilt. I want you to recognize first that you're made in the image of your king. You're made for this. Right? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for making us in your image. I thank you for bestowing in us, trusting us with your image. What a joy. What a promise to know that your fullness pours into us when we remember whose we are. I thank you for this opportunity and pray that you would uh, bless the rest of our service together. In your name, amen.